Welcome back to the Lawali Life Podcast. I'm your host, Alice Law, and this podcast is based purely around stress and loss with a mixture of incredible conversations with amazing leaders in their fields, sharing their stories on the greatest stresses and losses they've had to overcome, how they came back from them, with all their tips and tricks to get you back through yours. This podcast focuses purely on stress and loss because they are fates we all share to go through stress and to experience loss. So I wanted to dissect them further and get you the information you need to make sure that you can always come through yours. Today's guest is the amazing Floyd Woodrow. Floyd really is one of a kind, and I'm so excited to bring you this episode. Floyd's early career was as a soldier in the Parachute Regiment before he spent four years with the 1st Battalion before then joining the Special Air Service, the SAS, at the age of just 22. He was one of the youngest ever people to join the SAS. He was awarded the Distinguished Conduct Medal for his work in Iraq and an MBE for his work in Afghanistan. During this time in the military, he studied law and psychology and wrote his first book, Learning to Learn. Since leaving then, Floyd has had an incredible career, established as a consultancy in business alongside his commercial business ventures, and became a director of a number of companies in the gas industry, tech and finance. He regularly lectures all over the world and coaches CEOs and executives and leadership teams on how to be the best and find, as he would say, their North Star, which you will find out more about in this episode, which he also does to help young children as young as five. He really is such an incredible soul to talk to. He's so calm and kind, and I loved hearing all about his time in the SAS, how that's evolved into doing the incredible work he does now, and why he believes that the attributes that we really don't think of in such a tough regiment as the SAS, why those feminine attributes that live within all of us are so important, those compassions and kindnesses, and I really can't wait to bring you this episode, and I hope you enjoy. I've just been so excited about this conversation because you're the first person I've, um, first person I've interviewed who's ever been in the armed forces for starters. So it's a really interesting, different tangent and experience to talk about, especially with the SAS and then everything you do now. I'm just, yeah, truly fascinated. So thank you so much for saying you would come on the podcast. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd love to just start first of all, I mean, for you to just give us a bit of understanding of how did you come to, be one of the youngest members of the SAS. I mean, you were 22, was that correct, when you first joined? I mean, that's so I young. Was, uh, I was always fascinated by performance, I think. I love sport, so I played a lot of different sports when I was quite young. And so I liked the physical element and the challenge, the leadership, the teamwork. And I always wanted to be a sportsman. I always thought I would be great to be a professional sportsman in one of those different fields. But I never could really concentrate on one particular sport because I like so many. I would never spend the dedications required just to be good in one. I just like them all. And I'm really pleased I did that, actually, because what I think it gave me was a love of all sports. But um, a lot of different knowledge from either playing individually, resilience, teamwork, communication. So that really helped. And then I decided, oh, I thought I'd be a PE teacher. 
uh, as I was going through my dreams and aspirations. And then actually I knew it was about wanting to test myself, I think, wanted to see how I could push myself, how good could I be in different environments. And then I always had a, a dream of joining the parachute regiment from when I was really, really young and seeing how good a soldier I could be. And then, of course, the SES is a natural progression from that. So my, my dreams and aspirations, when I was quite young, actually, was to, to do both, to try and then do when I was quite young as well. I was quite clear on the timelines as well. I wanted to join when I was about eight, 17, 18, the parachute regiment, and join the special air service by the time I was 22. I don't know why those figures came into my mind when I was really young, but they were quite strong. And so it was a classic draw of, I suppose, wanting to fulfill and I think it was from a subconscious perspective as well. I was really clear that's when I wanted to go, even though I was young. And actually being young was a disadvantage in the sense that the average age of passing is about 27, 28. So when I joined, I was without doubt one of the least experienced soldiers. And of course, when you get to 27 or 28, you're physically stronger. There's, there's no two ways about it. You're physically stronger. Um, and so there's an element there of experience and resilience um, that plays, that, that helps when you're slightly older. I mean, it's, it is incredible. I can't wait to talk to you all about, you know, this whole journey before you even started doing what you do now, because, I mean, it's obviously such high stress, these kind of things that you go into. So, I mean, I'd love to talk about, for example, first of all, for people to understand what is the difference between the SAS and say different regiments in the army, because it's notoriously sort of the toughest one to be in essentially, isn't it? So what, what yes, is the is. difference there? Yeah. The difference is that you are, you go through a, a quite an extensive selection process. So for the parachute regiment, it's about six months long. Um, it's very, very physical. I mean, very physically demanding. Um, and then the Marines is very similar, very, like the commando courses, again, very similar, very physically demanding. The special forces selection is slightly different. It's as physically demanding, but it's mentally demanding because where you are really being tested is as an individual. Um, but you're also, you also have to be a team player, but you also have to have a really good element of core basic skills that you can do really well in really difficult circumstances. So the testing part, the physical tests are really, really clear, objective. So there is no discussion. You either hit the numbers and you pass or you don't and you will fail. It's as clear cut as that. You can't say, oh, I had a bad day. You just <laughs> had a bad day. That's fortunate. I mean, you do get chances. I'm not being, there are, there are a couple of the odd chance here and there. But, but ultimately, the minute you miss a, a specific test, then you just have to come back and try again. And you only get two goals, three at best on exceptions. And then as you go through the training, because it's long, laborious, difficult, that also takes people out. And the environments that you go through are very debilitating. So again, the mental resilience side, making sure that you stay focused, you're disciplined, that you work for the teammates that you have around you as well, as well as thinking, you know, I'm going to be selected on my own abilities. And of course, when you then go into the regiment, it's a lot of the specialist skills that you do. You are relied upon to operate at the highest level. So we are generally the first group that goes into a conflict, but we're also the first group that goes in to do peacekeeping. So the support and influence, one of the strange things about the Special Air Service is the, the number one priority is support and influence. So that's going on to the ground to minimize war or to gain a great communication with people that are on the ground so that you can influence them to do something that's probably better for them and better for the world as a whole. 
Uh, and of course, you're also then able to switch between peacekeeping to war fighting. And you may have to do that in a seamless transition from one day you're doing one to one day you're doing the next. So it's your ability to adapt, I would say, one of the critical things. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? Like you say, the support and it's almost like it's like um, ninja style being able to sort of weave between the two of peacekeeping and then, you know, combat. So what would you say are your most profound moments of, of both sides that have really stuck with you? Oh, it's interesting. That's a really good question. Um, I would say peacekeeping in Bosnia was probably one of the most profound because of the influence that you can have to people that literally have got to a stage where they hate one another. And again, I don't think people truly understand what that word means until you actually see it. I mean, we know we can dislike something or we may even say, oh, I hate that. But I don't think you actually, people totally understand how you know a European nation can move from one particular perspective to another on a although it's been a long it's a long-term issue but for them to get to a point where they had neighbors who they interacted with to a point where you want to eradicate them is unbelievable and I don't think you can ever conceive what that really does mean I could never understand that kind of hate ever and I think we're fortunate in the United Kingdom that very few of us could understand it which is why we're quite good at peacekeeping because we take a center line what we do is we make sure that we we don't favor one side or another we are there to make the United Kingdom a world class at peacekeeping but for me it was about the ability to then get with those three groups and actually fundamentally when you meet each of the groups you, you'd like them socially they're you know they're bright they're they're normal human beings but when you bring up this particular element of their existence that that, that group is just different there is no negotiation in, in that respect. So understanding that and being able to deal with it and, and then weave, as you said, through that, that political, emotional difficulty was really profound because we did have significant effect in order to mitigate what was happening on the ground. I think that was pretty significant. And then I think when you're involved in peacekeeping operations and you can bring people to justice, which is what we're really good at, and by justice I mean bringing able, being able to... Um, make them accountable for their crimes in a law court is again quite significant yeah I mean that is that is incredible I mean was there a time because obviously you guys must have been trained and you know have been trained to be so um well essentially not frightened in these situations really so how do you deal with those fears that surely would come up as humans or have you been trained at that point to not allow it to affect you so it's a mixture. So you'll never, you cannot eradicate fear. So it just, it's not because your mind is just conditioned to make sure you're protected. So we all have to deal with the same stresses, anxieties, and worries. Of course, one hits the mind, one the body, one a mixture of both of those elements. So the key is, is to have your own inner system that enables you to deal with those things. And that comes through training, of course, because you are pushed to the highest degrees. You are put into a position where you could easily give up and you're, you're trained to overcome those doubts. Remember, your mind is just saying, actually, let's stop doing this. It's a bit difficult. It's a bit dangerous. The skill is always being able to overcome that through strategies, but also a belief that, belief that you're doing the right thing. And that's why, for me, when I talk about having purpose, it's really important that you're doing something for the right reasons, which means it's worth doing this. So therefore, that extra commitment comes in. So all of those different tools and techniques and skills 
means that when you're in those situations, you minimize you minimize it. It's still there because actually, unless you're a bit scared, you never operate at the highest levels. So having that ability means that you want to do your best. Then being surrounded by a team, and one of the big aspects of this is not wanting to let your team down, is really important because you know I've, I don't want to let these people left and right of me down. So that also plays a part in giving you the determination and the resilience and the will to when you're in those situations, just to realize that I've trained really hard I know I'm doing the right thing, and therefore courage means you stand up for what you believe. It's not about being big and tough. It's about resilience of character so that you can step into that environment and just realize I need to do something um, that is different. Yeah, I love that expression, resilience of character. Um, So, I mean, for you, obviously, going through these experiences, there must have been stresses and losses and what would you say was the greatest stress or loss you had to overcome during that time? The greatest stress. I mean, obviously, when you lose com- when you lose people that are in the regiment when they're killed or they... Oh, Floyd, sorry. Um, sorry, can you just I stop just that yeah, you just froze. I'm sorry. Yeah, Damn internet. <laughs> sorry, you saying... Um... So the difficulty there is obviously when you lose colleagues or they're very badly wounded, that's probably the most difficult time because you know, you've known these, you've perhaps known their families. So that's always the most difficult time, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how would you say then in terms of coming back to normal life after the SAS, how did you adapt to what is essentially a normal civilian life, having been in the extremes of, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan and seeing stuff that people over here just can't really comprehend, like you said, you know, seeing that hate in Bosnia, you know, you can't comprehend that over here. So how did you adapt? I think that's that's the great thing about a support system that's around you, having family, friends, colleagues, uh, having other hobbies, other activities, so that you're not just in this, in this one domain, this one world. You're able to start to think you're in a number of different areas where you know, that's just part of my life. I've got loads of other things that I like to do um, and make sure I'm part of, which just I think helps, helps uh, on your own journey through life, is that you've got diversity, which I think is really important. Yeah, so, so true. I mean, what would you say then in terms of what that time of your life has given you? What was the greatest gift of all those experiences for you? Confidence. Confidence, I think. Yeah, confidence in the sense of, um, yeah, trusting in yourself, being able to realise that you've gone through lots of adversity and you have still been able to make reasonable decisions, sometimes good, maybe not always as good. Um, but also I think it's a confidence of belief in yourself that you're, you're capable um, and a resilience, you understand what resilience means. So I think those two terms would probably be quite high, confidence and resilience, I would say. Yeah, I mean, that must be like, like you say, like the key components of being able to, to deal with that because if you lose confidence in yourself, then you've kind of become like a almost like a broken link in what you say is like a team that all needs to be confident in their own abilities to support one another, really. Is that, is that the sort of like ethos behind it? I know it is, and the ethos is really important. You know, you, 
you know, you'll know from, from my perspective that ethos plays a massive part in, in everything you're going to do. It's about your values, the culture, the characteristics and behaviors that you need to be successful. And then team code of conduct comes into play there as well. Um, but I think it's also the confidence to fight for what you believe and also to trust yourself that when it's really tough, you can still keep pushing forward. You're still able to think, you know, I, 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 I will continue on this journey and I will be successful. I think that's really important. Yeah. Is there, um, you might not be able to share, I don't know, but is there a story you can share with us that really stuck with you most from that time? Um, there's probably quite a few. Um, <laughs> I think, um, for me, some of the biggest, biggest stories are obviously when you're on operations. And I think the key thing for me is, I, I obviously I can remember some operations that have gone gone wrong in the sense of elements of them have not gone right. I, I remember vividly being in a situation where there is a firefight, we're under pressure, we're outnumbered. And therefore what you're doing is you're relying on a number of simple things. You're relying on the basic drill sets that you've always practiced coming to the fore because you don't have time to think. So there's no good thinking, oh, what shall I do here? You have to do. You have to be in the moment where you get to that magical word called flow, that you don't have to think anymore. I just know what to do. I know where to be, and I know what the process is going to be. But also that you can rely on your teammates to be doing the same thing. It's that wonderful thing where you don't have to look left or right, because I know what they're doing. They're doing exactly what they need to do. And then it's being able to lead in that situation, being able to make the right decisions, the right calls, and being able to outmaneuver, outflank, be in a better position where one is you can get the defensive position correct. So that's always important in anything in life, solid foundation from which to work from, and then seize opportunity. So when you're in that situation, what we've always got to remember is the enemy is in one particular area, not internal. We need to work together. And then it's about overcoming it. And that's through, again, discipline, skill set, practice, to get yourself into a position where you can extract yourself from it in order to be in another position further down the line and continue with um, continue with your task and your job. It's something really interesting you said there because there's, and that was the word flow to me. And I think it's so interesting to hear you say that because I'm a massive believer and understander of, you know, how there's feminine and masculine energies that live within all of us and that we able to tap into both of those is then we bring out the best of ourselves and flow is a huge part of the divine feminine energy that lives within people and obviously the army the sas all those other things you were saying are such masculine energies to you know resilience to extract to do all these things physically but that flow was something that has come sort of intuitively when everyone knows exactly where they're meant to be and what place they're meant to be in and that is more of the feminine energy so would you say would you say that feminine energy really helps you all in that situation and that was something you had to learn to sort of tap into or was it always like masculine masculine energy only oh no I don't think you could ever be successful if you just have one one type of energy just would be I just think it's incomprehensible and I think it's an interesting one for you so my my thoughts for you, which will be, I think you'll find quite interesting, Alice, is that I actually I think in those moments in time, the strongest component is the word love. Because actually, there is a great deal of love that goes on in those situations because we had a wounded man. And therefore, you have to make a decision on some of these situations that this person's injured. What, what do you do? And what I can say to you, at no stage was that person ever going to be let down. There was a great deal of care 
and consideration. And as this team also had to go through lots of other adversities, all the way through, people did something for somebody else. People were making sure, whether it's a thumb up or whether it's um, a look, whether it's a comment, you're trying to connect and make sure everybody's aligned. And that comes from that balance between the two. Are these soldiers really tough? Yes, they are. But what they won't do is let people down. They care. There's a real care for what's happening. And there would be a real loss if something happened where somebody didn't make it back. So that's quite an interesting element for you to think about. I think there's as much love in those situations as there is in terms of and the hard-edged. Oh, wow. I love that. That's such a, that is such an amazing thing to think of because people can't really comprehend that there would be you know, the concept of love on, on the battlefield. But that obviously has to be, like you say, to be able to to succeed in whatever you're trying to do. And equally, do you think there may be, because obviously we know now from studies, et cetera, that kindness is a great way to bring down stress and, you know, giving energy outside of yourself to someone else. Do you think that kind of care and kindness and love for essentially, you know, your your regiment is also what keeps people in a more stable mental health perspective when they're in those extreme situations out there. Completely. And I think it's one of those, again, it's one of those things that when you understand this, obviously once you start to delve into the psychology behind all of this, I would have said to you um, many, many years ago that yes, I can understand it, but now I understand why it's important. So the word kindness and going out of your way, I think, think is transformational in, in very, very strong cultures. And certainly when you're looking at an alpha male, alpha female environment, that kindness can help just make sure you you get to that right flow. It's not a high challenge all the time. There's high challenge and high support. And the best environment to operate in is high challenge, high support. Yeah, I love that. What do you, would you say then, okay, the key sort of components and things you learn as, you know, part of the SAS, what are the key things that you think should be brought back to normal life for everyone that you know that your regiment and you learn there? That every single person, so that when you, when you join the special air service, you have a voice so that you are, once you're in the group, you have a voice and your voice is important. You are trusted implicitly to make the right decisions. You are respected. Um, you are respected for your opinion, but also the standards are set at a height which means we expect you to be at that standard. So there's a natural draw on performance. So what you're saying to everybody when they walk through the door is you are now an A+. Plus. So you walk through the door, you're all an A+. Plus. So we don't, you know, you're not, you're not a C or a B or anything. You're an A+. Plus. All you need to do now is maintain it. So what that does, that creates an environment of people all of a sudden overachieving. So if you'd have seen some of these individuals at school, I guarantee if we did uh, a survey or a you know, really big survey on who, what people did at school, what they went on, went on to do when they're in the SES, what they achieved outside of the SES, I think I'll guarantee that the performance jump was astronomical. I mean, you've got people in the special air service that go on to learn languages, they do law degrees, psychology, they come out and run their own businesses, they transform different areas of life. I, I think you'd see... Because what you said to them is you can, you know, at, at all stages, you will at least pass the course that you're on. What we expect you to do is even better, but as long as you pass, that's all that matters. So it makes you, it forces you to push the bounds of your potential. 
Oh, I love that. It's almost like, um, what's that concept? You know, they use it in, uh, you know, Google, all those big companies talking about your moonshot. Like, what is your, like, craziest thing that you think you might not be able to achieve, but that you hope? And the SAS is almost like that moonshot that once you've got to that, then you know that you can basically achieve <laughs> achieve achieve anything in your everyday life. Without a doubt, it's exactly it's a, it's a demanding entrepreneur environment. You're expected to succeed and win. It just naturally falls into that line. We just expect you to to do something unique and innovative, and and we're always in front of our competition because of that reason. And that's what that's I guess what you've done with your business, which is amazing, which is partly what I love to talk about now. I mean, you coach and speak and design and run leadership, you know, elite performance training, sports business government all sorts I mean are you able to explain yeah firstly a bit about all of that because it sounds amazing and how that has really come from a product I guess of this entire experience for you really has it yes it has really it's like a culmination of all the different elements I've learned in leadership and coaching and working with people pushing potential it's it's, it's that ability to com- combine it together and so when I left the military, I, I, I run a number of businesses, but I also started my HP development and projects. And I started to work with big business, sports teams, government, education, and I learned so much, so much more than even I had in the military. I had a good core basic to, basis to work on, but then I learned lots of things, lots of other things I wish I'd known whilst I was in the military. <laughs> um, but then I came up with the concept of how do you bring this together and I always said that for me, life is a journey. It's about a journey of discovery, adventures and experiences to make you the best version of yourself. And I totally believe that. I just think life is about gaining this information so that you're a great, you become a good person, you help people around you and you give back to society at the end. And then you've probably had a pretty good journey through life. And so I thought, well, actually, it's about having a super North Star. So for me, where you want to be in life is about having a super North Star. That's about where you may want to be in the next three, five, or 10 years. That could be as big as I want to change the world to as small as I want to play the piano. But it draws you forward on your journey of discovery. South Cardinal's about strategy. That's about breaking the journey down into manageable chunks. That's about contingencies, facts, figures, detail. No emotion, because you need to look at what you need to do. And then it's about wisdom, common sense, and judgment to connect all of these things together. East Cardinal's about ethos. That's about your values. That's about your culture that you want to live in, creating trust, teamwork. And the West Cardinals about being resilient mentally and physically, strength of character. So that's about having the right strategies, the right knowledge, and applying them correctly. If the compass is in equilibrium and you can articulate all of those four cardinals, you'll be difficult to beat. And then it's about having a map. And the map is about the journey that you're going on. And that journey changes, so the map and the terrain change. So it's just about drawing those things down. And so I came up with this concept, and I've developed it into quite a deep concept now. That's a great overview. Uh, But I run that same program with five-year-old children to the top, top leaders in business. And if you saw me deliver it, I can honestly say to you, Alice, it's the same program. If you saw me speak to, again, these, these small children who are... Um, really young, the things that they come out with are phenomenal. That innate intelligence of young children is something to behold. 
Yeah, I'd love that. That's such an amazing point. I'd love to talk about that because I was going to ask when you said the kids and, you know, leaders in business, what is the difference between not how you deliver it, but what comes out of them? Because obviously as children, we are so wonderfully unprogrammed to all the experiences of life of what we think we should be, who we should think we should be. And we have that tapped into our natural intuition that we all hold, but layers of life get put on top of it as adults and we forget it. So what what are the kind of things that come out from the five-year-olds that just blow your mind? A complete innocence, but profound knowledge, I would say. Um, something that you can't quite understand until you hear it. And it's, it's where I talk, and I do a lot of work on the culture, the value side, and I show very powerful videos for them, and I'll ask them a question, and their answers are better than business leaders. Their answers are really clear and honest and from the heart, I'll give you an example. On one slide I put up the other day, the word forgiveness, and it was in the shape of a key. And I said to the groups, of, and they were um, year five and six, so we're talking, say, seven to ten. And, um, sorry, nine to ten. And I asked a little, one of the little girls, what did, you, what did it mean? And she said, that key is something that opens your heart and lets people in when they've been horrible to you. And you just look around a room and see teachers looking at her thinking, where did that come from? And it's because we don't listen to children. When I've been to some of the most disadvantaged areas, I can say in the United Kingdom, and people say they don't have ambition or they have a, a real lack of understanding of what they want to do in life. I can honestly tell you that's just not true. I've never, ever been in any school or area where I've not had children come up with the most wondrous jobs, ambitions, things that they want to do ever. I mean, that's from being a paleontologist. And even in some of these areas where people think, well, I'm not sure if these children would know what that word means. Honestly, it's, it's phenomenal. And, um, and that's the thing that, that I think people love about the compass is when they see it in action with children, it does blow your mind away of what they come out with and, and how we limit children's ability, how adults limit children. And of course, it's the same program I run, it's the same program I run with business leaders, and it's identical. If you saw me, as I said, they have the same map. They talk about super North stars. They talk about strategy, ethos, and, uh, and more spirit in order to deliver on this. Um, there's no difference. I love that. I bet, yeah, it must be so, so, what's the word, like rewarding to see that come out of kids and in such like a natural, a natural way, just as a reminder of what we're all capable of. It's amazing. Oh, no, absolutely. No, I totally agree. I think that's the, that's the key thing. That's probably a bit too long. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. It means it just shows you um, the potential that people have. I think that's probably the most important thing for me, the potential that people have. And therefore, it's our ability, it's our ability to make sure that we, we show them how to release that potential. Why do you think, okay, talking about potential, because I love that word, and I think we all have limitless potential, but why do you think humans so often forget their true potential? Because they get distracted by magnets. So I always talk about the compass can be taken off course by having a magnet, which obviously moves the North Pointer. And what we do is we sometimes, we fall into the trap again of, of over time and being worn down, we start to listen to the naysayers or we start to not have the right strategies, we're not given the right belief structures. And then over a period of time, that can just wear us down to not see the opportunities that are there. And so for me, it's about one is creating an inner strength because you know, the bottom line is it's your journey through life. 
but you also need to know how do I go out and get it. So I think once you're given the right tools, the right skill sets, then it enables you to do that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's so interesting. Oh, so you also say I read that you said um, you have that there's a common thread between all successful people or all talented people. Um, what is that common thread? It's exactly that is that you have a purpose, you know where you're going, you can articulate it, it's clear and ambiguous. That's the super north star. But you have a plan that you can break down and articulate how you're going to get there. You have the right positive values, you have emotional intelligence, and that means you can apply and you can communicate and you understand how to take people with you. You lead without authority, but you are resilient physically. You have sensitive and empathy for yourself. So you look after yourself, you're energized, you're healthy, you do everything you can to make sure the body's um, fed and then your mind is in a strong place. You understand how to, how to control it, how to maximize it how to deal with setbacks, how to deal with doubt. Yeah, I love that. And it's like you say, yeah, being able to control the mind. I mean, that's something I think we all need to be taught at the age of, you know, five, like you are having those conversations with those kind of children. And it's amazing. I mean, how how is it you're sort of able to work with those kids, for example, was that at school? So I do this project now with hundreds of schools. I've done thousands of kids and... Um, and honestly, I find that that is the most rewarding thing you could possibly do. Plus, I get children to live as compass as well to other children. So we train the navigators, train them to become compass leaders. Um, what I love about it is that, yeah, you, it, it, I've, done it with, I've done it with even younger kids, to be fair. Um, and again, you will just never believe how talented they are and what they come out with. It is magical. Oh, I love that. It's amazing. I think that's such an amazing thing that you're doing because... I truly believe if every child was able to have these kind of things at that age, it would cause a huge change in the world. And, you know, being able to, being able to control our mind and release our actual potential and all these things before, before we become an adult and have all our fears stop us essentially from, from this sort of thing. So when you go back to fear as well, because I love that concept, you said love, for example, on the battlefield, and there's fear. I always believe this sort of all our decisions come from a place of fear or love. And there's even a, a spiritual text called The Course in Miracles that essentially teaches that that's literally the, everything will come back to one of the two if you really delve deeper and deeper from it, which is really interesting. So how do you sort of, in those extreme situations, how do you keep on the side of love, for example, when you're in the battlefield and not go into the fear side? Again, I, what I would say is it comes back down to focus on what are you trying to do. I would always keep coming back to making sure that you never lose sight of what the purpose is. So the purpose could be to make sure all of your soldiers, your comrades are extracted in a difficult situation. It will be about the mission itself. And it's the same even if you're in business and you've got difficult decisions and things are happening that are, that are tough. You're also thinking about how do I get out of this? What does it look like? What am I going to do to be successful? So your mind is focused on flow, which is the doing bit. If you overthink, if you then stop for a second, when the doubts come, when you stop. So in all the times I've ever had any situation where, oh, I've realized well, that was a bit dangerous or that was a bit difficult, it's usually after the event, just before you go into another event. So it's that lull when you've got time to think 
and realize, oh, actually, that was really, really close. That was really difficult. Now, that's when the voice can play a bigger element because you might not want to go back into that. You realize I've just been, we've done well, but actually it could be more difficult. Then it's about realizing that that voice doesn't help. That's just the classic reptilian coming in saying, let's get out of this place. Let's make sure we stay safe. Why would we go back and do something like that? So you keep coming back to what I want now is a logical part of my mind, that emotional path is the right thing. And it's just changing that inner voice, changing that mindset back into, yeah, there's nothing wrong. It's a bit scary. And of course, when you go, it's a bit scary. And I am a bit scared. You change the dynamic inside your head. The biggest one is not acknowledging fear. If you can just say to yourself, I'm scared. And actually for me, that was a transformational moment when I could say to myself, you're scared, Floyd. Then I could go, yeah, I am. What that means is now I can do something about it. If I, if I deny it and go, no, I'm okay, I'm fine. What I'm now doing is fighting that inner voice, which is going, oh, yes, you are. And actually, no matter what you say to me, it is that what's happening inside me is not helping. So, but if you go, I am scared, your mind then goes, great, now what are we going to do about it? So what are the skills? What's the um, tactics? What do we need to do from a strategic perspective? And then all of a sudden I'm in a different position. I've gone away from being scared to the practicalities now of doing something. The logical part of my brain then clicks in. Then I can deal with that emotional element. And then it's the right thing to do. So I'm back to being motivated and then I can move forward. Yeah, I love that. When you go back to that voice, the inner voice, because obviously I love talking about this because everyone has this inner voice and it can be very, very unkind. We're not really even aware uh, quite a lot of the time when people are stressed or they're in fear, they don't realize how unkind they're being to themselves internally with that with that inner chatter. So how would you, what would you say are your best ways of shifting from um, that unkind voice to a kinder one or a fearful one to one that's actually going to move you forwards? Um, you've got a number of different strategies for different things. Uh, visualization is really important. And so visualizing again, why are you doing what you want to do? What does it look like? And there's a powerful motivating factor when you can see where you want to be, what you want to happen. And, and that's used from top athletes to people with PTSD. The visualization of success and what we can do moving forward is really powerful. Power words, so courage, resilience, determination, making sure that the inner voice knows that, though, no, I want to be courageous today. I want to be powerful. I want to be disciplined. I want to be motivated. A power phrase is important. Mine's always an opportunity. When I get scared, I always think to myself, it's an opportunity to see how good you can be today, Floyd. So again, I, that self-talk is constantly giving me the positive, the positivity. I also can play back all my successes. So when we play back successes, our minds will replay all the happy feelings. So all of a sudden, I'm overriding any doubt here because I can go back to being 10 years of age and doing well in a competition, being successful, being happy, being, achieving something. So what it allows me to do is override all of these different elements. Breathing, really important. Breathing to calm ourselves down, very, very important. And again, those, those key skill sets mean that what I can do is now override those negativities because I know what's happening. Key is, is to capture and having the ability to monitor the feelings, the emotions, the voice, and realize what's happening. So you're in the now. You're not allowing yourself to be distracted by something that's floating through your subconscious. You're in the now. You are in control. And those are normal things to be scared of. And then you can move forward at pace. 
I love all those things. I think those are great things for people to take away and try. Um, you mentioned PTSD there, and obviously that's such a, a thing that's obviously it's outside of the army as much as it is inside the army. It's in so many different scenarios. I mean, did you ever experience PTSD yourself? I haven't, um, Alice. So I personally haven't. Um, so I, and I think it's because of all the different strategies and all the different elements I've gone through. I personally haven't, um, but I've come across quite a few people that have. And of course, it is, again, one of those elements that you become overridden with doubt and you create stress and anxiety and worry and it goes, it can escalate into significant mental health issues. And again, I think the key is one of the things that I do with Compass Work is, again, use that so that people can see a journey and a way out of this situation but again, using the same kinds of tools that I've just gone through to get them back on track. And that super North Star may not be as big as I'm going to become an astronaut anymore. It may be I just want to feel comfortable coming out of my house or indeed um, meeting with friends or believing yeah, I'm going to go and get work or whatever that may be. But again, it allows you a journey to, to get to where you need to be. I think the whole concept of a North Star, I think, is amazing. I think it's something that a lot of people can really use at the moment because... A lot of people are struggling with the current circumstance of being locked down. And I think they could use even the smallest North Star to just keep moving towards and have that motivation, which is an amazing totally thing. Great. I always ask everyone on the podcast this question, and I'd love to know your answer because it's always so different for everyone. And it you know, might be nothing, it might be everything. So it's always interesting. But what does, you know, what part has spirituality, if anything, played in your whole experiences? You know, what does spirituality personally mean to you? Um, what it means to me is actually just being connected with the world as it is. So for me, I think it's all interconnected. Um, I think the word is used in so many different aspects. I think it's being, having an understanding that there is something bigger than ourselves I think it's about realizing there's an energy in the world. And I think it's about your ability to just make sure you connect with your own energy. And then you're able to connect with other people's energy by doing the right thing, by making sure you've got the right elements in place. That's what I think is really important. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, would, you, would you say that you've connected more to that energy and that sort of thing in an, at an older age? Or was that something you connected to back when you were 22 in the SAS or... When was that sort I of think experience? Older. I would say slightly older. Why do you think that was? I think a better understanding of yourself. I think when you're younger, I think sometimes unless I, I, I have no doubt those things were there, but I think understanding what that then means and how you are connected to it is just a slightly deeper awareness as you get older. Yeah. I love that. So to finish, I'd love to ask you two questions. One is what book would you recommend to people that changed your life, if any, that you would say read if you want to really feel just inspired again or motivated at this time when people are feeling a bit hopeless? The Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I love that book. I love that book so much. It's just, it is, it's, it's unbelievable. It really is, isn't it? It's, um, what was your, what was your favorite sort of thing about reading that book? Again, potential. It's about making sure that if you have purpose, it can drive you for greater and stronger things. Yeah. I love that. And, um, what is one quote or mantra or, you know, intention that you like to try and live by that keeps you going towards your North Star? 
it's an opportunity to see how good you can be. Well, thank you so much, Floyd. It's been so, so interesting talking to you and so inspiring. And I really hope and know a lot of people will get a lot out of that because it was just um, fascinating, fascinating, really was. Thank you. Pleasure. hope you enjoyed today's episode with the amazing Floyd Woodrow if you did enjoy the episode then please tell me on social media you can find me on Instagram at lawali underscore life and on LinkedIn under Alice Law stress management I would love to hear from you let me know what you thought of the episode and if you did enjoy the episode then please click download so I can continue to bring you more amazing guests like Floyd from around the world and help you through your own stresses and struggles Stay tuned.